Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, Happy New Year. We did it. 2021 is gone. Woo! Still another year older, though, you know? So I feel good today. I don't know if it's the coffee or Kyle Rossman made me a really special drink. Um, it had like 10 words to it, and he remembered all of them. So it was, you go, Kyle. Proud of you. Um, well, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm really excited. We're, if you can tell, the, we've been trudging through Matthew. It's been a beautiful little stroll. Uh, for the last several months, and we're in part four, finally. So, yes, we are um, talking about the opinions of the king, and uh, I, uh, I talked about um, how kind of last time how each background has this kind of symbolic, if you're a creative, I'm a creative, I like to kind of bring beauty out of uh, pictures and photos and kind of let that kind of absorb into your brain as you're learning, and uh, so this is kind of like an abstract photo of ice, and, and the idea is that there's these cracks that are occurring in opinions of Jesus. You're going to have people who uh, whatever they've heard, whatever they've seen, have different opinions on who he is. And uh, I think that's pretty telling to today's world. Like, a lot of people have a, a lot of different opinions on who Jesus is. Uh, not, even, not even, like, just people who don't believe in what he did and who did. Even the people who did still argue about what exactly he meant, right? Or what exactly he meant in this situation. If you can tell, uh, politics has a lot of fun of trying to pick at what Jesus would say and which one was right and which way he would vote and all these type of things, right? And it's pretty overwhelming sometimes. And so I don't know about you, but if you've been following this, um, it's just been kind of a breath of fresh air because I feel like it just pulls away all of the mire and the muck of the world, and it allows you just to see Jesus for who he truly is. And he doesn't create this, like, utopia that lives absent of, of our lives, but that he came and became flesh so that his, his kingdom that we talk about, his, his uh, power and his reign, his ethic, his life, becomes tangible with and intersects with the world that we live in, which is awesome because when you're at your workplace— you can tell people about the way of Jesus and the way that you're living it, and they can actually see the implications of that. It's not this far-off thing. You don't become a hermit in the woods and do your own thing, which I'm sure a lot of you sometimes dream about. Right? <laughs> world would be way easier if I just lived out in the woods by myself. Um, but today, as we get started on this idea, and I thought, what better fitting way than with this description of ice and the cracking than to talk about uh, someone who I think is, abs- is absolutely insane, and uh, climbed a lot of ice. His name is uh, Marc-Andre Leclerc. If you've uh, watched the documentary The Alpinist, which is kind of short for alpine climbing, which is like intense climbing of mountains, um, you, you know the story. If you don't know the story, I'm going to give you a little teaser of the uh, trailer of this coming up. Who impresses you right now? This kid Marc-Andre Leclerc. He's been doing all kinds of crazy alpine soloing. What I'm doing is on rock. And then I see Mark Andre free soloing on ice and snow. First time I heard about Mark, he's living in a snow cave on the parkway or something. He is pushing things that is pretty much unknown. I'm Mark Andre Leclerc. I'm a climber, generally speaking. So that's Mark Andre Leclerc, uh, Canadian. Uh, and in the documentary, it's fascinating. Uh, uh, if, if you don't have anything to do over the next week for a few hours, you should watch it. And it, the reason why I'm showing you this is, is not because well, what he was doing is crazy, uh, but that in, in what he's doing, I was so fascinated at, like, what type of person does this, right? Like, what type of person climbs a, a mountain that no one else even climbs with ropes and takes these little baby ice picks 
And it's just like, you know, going up, going up a frozen waterfall that's only like this thick, you know? Like, just what type of person has to have the brain to do that? And so on one hand, you watch it and you're like, this guy's a complete idiot. Like, he's insane. He clearly doesn't have anything going on in there. But on the other hand, if you have any bit of climbing background and you know anyone who climbs, I climb a little bit and I boulder. And when you watch someone who's really, really good, what you don't realize is when they make a move, they go to another rock or whatever on the route, that they are usually, if it's a hard route, they're doing about 12 different things with their body. You watch them and they're like, oh, they're putting their hand up and grabbing that rock. It is way more complex than that. There's like slight little body adjustments and pressures that you use with the wall and your feet and your hips and all this type of stuff, right? And so I'm watching this guy and I'm like, at first I was like, what an, you know, what an idiot. Like, he's crazy. And then you watch him and you're like, this guy is a genius. Like, in terms of climbing, he is as good as it gets. Like, there are so many little calculations he's making in his head. At one point in the, in the document, there's, a, video, there's a, a clip where he's climbing up this frozen waterfall, and the, the camera's, like, showing an angle, and the waterfall's, like, this thin. So he's literally climbing up, just, like, frozen, whatever, right? And he has these, uh, these crampons which go on your feet, and you kind of can, like, stab the rock, and then he has two little ice picks that kind of showed in the, the thing. And, and it's dead silent, because, you know, they're up, and it's, like, in the snow, and it's just dead quiet, and you just hear, like, and he's just, like, testing ice with this little pick. And then, you know, I mean, he'd have just the littlest bit of the pick catch on a piece of ice. And he would put all of his body weight on it and climb up. Like, and there were times where he'd, he'd take, he was climbing bare hands, by the way, which is also just insane. I can't even go out and start my car in the morning without gloves on. And, and, and he, he takes the pick, and he, like, puts it on his shoulder. And he's, like, testing it with his fingers. He's, like, a, you know, 500 feet up. If he drops it, like, I don't know what you do. You can't just cl climb down. And I'm just like, this is insane, you know? And so the whole time I'm flipping back between this guy's an absolute idiot, he's going to die, what he's doing is insane, it's dangerous, it's, it's, it's encouraging other people to be just as reckless. And on the other hand, you're like, what a masterpiece. Like, there is no one like him. And what's fascinating about him is that he wasn't a prideful guy either. In fact, the documentary guys who did it, like, he was like off the radar. And Alex Honnold, who in the beginning is like, I'm really, I'm really into this guy, Mark andre Kirk. Alex Honnold is the, one of the most famous climbers. He climbed the Don Wall, I believe free solo without any ropes, and everybody's like, oh my gosh. And then, and then Marc-Andre Clark has climbed things just way crazier, uh, with no ropes, nothing. And, but he was so interesting. He lived in a hallway, a stairwell for several years. He was homeless. In the, during the documentary, him and his girlfriend lived in a tent out in the woods. He didn't like own anything. He didn't have a job. He was like literally what you would describe as a bum, right? Like literally. And he was just the best climber in the world. And I thought about that, and what I, what I, what I loved about it was that it created this kind of provocative tension where your mind doesn't really know what to do with it. Like I said, on one hand, he's crazy. On the other hand, he's brilliant. And you start to think, what type of person would be able to do all of that? Well, maybe he would have to be both of those. Like, he would have to be crazy enough to do these things and to only care about climbing, but also brilliant enough to be able to climb all of these routes. And it, it just started me, it started me thinking about Jesus and, and followers of him and how this, over the next uh, few chapters, I think it's 11 through 14, you're just going to get these little, or 11 through 13, you're going to get these vignettes of what people think of Jesus. Some people are going to think he's crazy. Some people are going to think he's a fraud. Some people are going to think he is the, uh, this brilliant prophet. Some people will think he is Christ, right? Like, and there's all these different opinions, but at the end of the day, we're all watching the same thing. We're all reading the same thing. How are all these different opinions occurring? And that's kind of what I want to poke at today. For those of you who, it was your first time in church, first time in a while, or maybe you're like, you know, when you have your, your goals of the year, you're like, I'm going to work out, I'm going to go to church. Well, great job. You've, you've got one of those already so far. So 100%, right? But, you know, and you, you just, your life, right, you're trying to figure out what does this mean to me, right? I think this is a really cool start to this because you're going to get people, even in the Bible, who had different, very different opinions of who Jesus was. So let's jump in. We're going to be in uh, Matthew 11. If you have your Bibles, 
Uh, you can go there. If you have your phones, that's also great. We also have Bibles in the back. If you want to steal one, you can have it to keep. Uh, we uh, love for people to steal Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in verse 2, chapter 11, verse 2. And uh, I'm, I'm warning you, I usually am pretty short at teaching, but I might go a little long today, so I'm sorry. But we're covering 24 verses, and I'm going to go as quick as I can. So if you're looking at your, if you're looking at your Bible, there's the kind of two passages we're going to cover. So verse 2, now when John had heard in prison about the deeds of Christ had done, he sent his disciples to ask a question, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Now we'll pause here. John, if, if you remember John the Baptist, this is way back in like week three of Matthew. John is this prophet, this forerunner. He's kind of like, uh, he's the hype man of Jesus, if you will. Goes up on the stage, gets everybody going, and then Jesus comes out and delivers, right? John is, is, is a 2,000-year-old yeah, ancient hype man, but this hype man did not, did not do crazy, well, he did do crazy things. He didn't hype you up. He took you out in the river and baptized you of your sins. So, and he wore weird clothes. He ate a weird diet. He was considered weird by lots of people, lots of different opinions on him. And, and uh, at this point now, he had been jailed because of basically, long story short, he, he was uh, calling out the king for some terrible conduct on his part. So he gets jailed, and he's sitting in jail, and just think about this. John is, is, is following this call from God to be the foreigner of this Messiah. Now, he doesn't know who the Messiah is. He just knows he's coming, and, and he's excited about it. And, and so John does all these things, right? He lives this crazy lifestyle. He eats, like, locusts and honey, which is a weird diet. And, uh, and he, he baptizes all these people, lives out in the desert. He has followers. And he's sitting in jail. Now, this is not like jail today, where even jail today is rough. But jail back then was not, you know, they didn't feed you. They didn't care about you. You just sat there. And he's got to be playing through all of these things in his head. Like, is this person really the Christ? Like, all this stuff that I did, I mean, I dedicated my life to this. Was it worth it? And so he has his disciples go to Jesus and ask this question. Now, what's funny is, like, the way that we, you can read this is there's, there's a lot of doubt in there. Um, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another one? <laughs> not very, not very uh, encouraged by, by what he's doing. But, and, here, and here's why, okay? Here's what, this, I'm going to read a little bit of Matthew 3. This is what John said about this Messiah. When he was baptizing, uh, many Pharisees, religious leaders, came to the baptism, and he said to them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, Therefore, produce fruit that proves your repentance, and don't think you can say to yourselves, well, We have Abraham as our father, meaning we're, we're, we're in the right tribe, so we're fine. We don't have to do anything. For I tell you that God can raise up children for Abraham from even these stones around us. Even now, here it is, the axe is laid at the roots of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming, the Messiah, after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to even carry his sandals, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In the last sentence, he says, his winnowing fork in his hand, he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the storehouse, but the chaff he will burn up with inextinguishable fire. This is what John's depiction of the Messiah was. Now, if you can imagine over the last several chapters, we've seen what Jesus did, and we're like, that doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to align there. Like, this guy was carrying a fort, going around stabbing things and shaking things free and burning stuff, right? And Jesus has come, and here he is dining with the most cultural outcasts, but also the religious leaders. He's healing people. He doesn't seem to be doing anything aggressive. Like, he's not going out and stabbing people. He's not trying to become king. He's loving people really well. And so John is starting to play, and this is what I love about this, and this is where I think we can kind of start to absorb the story in our own lives, is what are the, what are the things that we believe to be concrete about Jesus 
that we've inherited, that we have pulled from somewhere, Facebook post, article, whatever, and we haven't actually really taken to God's word and been like, is this really what Jesus is saying? Is this really who he is? Is this really what he's communicating? And John, who is the forerunner, God, God blesses John's ministry, can't even, can't even realize what Jesus, like he's starting to question, is this really him? Now here's the thing, what, what uh, John, what John is saying about Jesus is, is not false. It is true. But the way, the method at which Jesus goes about it is what John had misunderstood. So John is not wrong on the outcome of what will happen, but like many people, he is wrong on the method at which Jesus accomplishes this. And so uh, this is funny, you know, they ask this question to Jesus, and what does Jesus say? In verse 4, following along, he says, Jesus answered them, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news proclaimed to them. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Jesus is basically saying, hey, I'm doing what the Messiah came to do. I'm making the kingdom a reality. That's what we talked about the last few chapters. Jesus is showing us this beauty of this kingdom, right, that is, in, that is, that is kind of playing, uh, it's, it's, it's in tandem with the world in terms of our ability to see it, but it's, it's far different. It's more contrasted than anything we can imagine. And uh, I love this statement. Tim Mackey describes this as, and he says, this is like, the statement is a hammer that heals. A hammer that heals. Think about it. When you use a hammer, you use a hammer to smash things. Sometimes you make a mistake, you use the other end to pull stuff out, right? But most times, you're like, you have a hammer, you're going to do some damage. And, uh, and what he's saying here is, he is bringing down a hammer of judgment in the world that he's in, but he's doing it in a healing way, which is counterintuitive to how we ever would have thought you use a hammer. Imagine if a surgeon came out and he's like, all right, let's go, and he just pulls out a hammer. Like, you're not going to trust him, right? I wouldn't trust him. I've never heard of that, right, using a hammer for surgery. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's using his power and his strength, and he is, uh, he is submitting to this, this level of the world that no one thought he should even be near or touch. And so after reading this, and you, 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 know, you can kind of read the four gospel accounts of Jesus, you start to realize, and I, I've, I've started this more and more as I read, is I, I believe Jesus, even during his time on earth, was one of the most misunderstood people I've ever read. Because even in his own, even in the, his own book, the Bible, like people are just, who is this guy? What is he actually doing? There's people who throughout the story, will go and cast demons out and will proclaim things in his name. And the disciples are like, hey, these guys are doing this, and they're not, like, they're, they don't really know what they're doing, and they're not really doing it for the right intentions. Like, there were people using the power of it. There were people that, that manipulated his influence and were hoping that he could get them a seat whenever he became king, right? Even his closest disciples were like, hey, when you, when you show up to Jerusalem and you overthrow the king and you overthrow Rome, like, can I sit at your, beside you? Can I be your right hand? You know? And you're like, What? We're reading it like, these idiots. You know what he's about to do? He's about to go die. He's not about to go, like, overthrow Rome, okay? And, and so I just, I can't even imagine, first of all, Jesus has the patience with everyone around him not understanding what he was there for. Think about the security that you have to have to be able to do that. Think about, like, God gives you this vision, right? And you're like, I don't know, I need to give away 90% of my income, right? Something crazy like that. And you tell everyone, you tell your financial planner, you tell your family, and they're just like, you're crazy, man. You're crazy. You know what's going to happen? Like, you're going to be homeless or whatever, right? You can name out the story. And, but you just are like, look, I, I really am convinced, like, this is what God's calling me to do. And it's, it's wild because, like, Jesus, the entire time he's, he's alive, he's basically misunderstood. Even as a kid, his mom and his dad lose him in the temple, and he's like, I'm where I need to be. And they're like, what are you talking about, right? And then he goes and starts to do ministry, and this family, his very own family, thinks he's crazy. And they try to pull him away from what he's doing. 
And that's when he's kind of like, hey, my family's here because they're helping me accomplish the will of God. Like, th- just imagining the weight of your entire life being completely misunderstood. If you've ever felt alone or isolated or not listened to or misunderstood, Jesus knows exactly what you feel. In fact, when he dies, how many people are there for him? Like, two or three. There's a few women. So that shows how brave men were back then. <laughs> and then John kind of is like, hiding from a distance, seeing it all, you know. Almost all the disciples abandoned him. I mean, he is the most under, misunderstood person, and, and, and to just feel the weight of that. In fact, I love this analogy through art. You know how people um, love to paint Jesus or put him in, like, stories, and you know how you've seen several depictions of Jesus. Well, I'm going to give you a 1,500-year art lesson here. Let's throw up these images. I'll just tell you when to go to the next one. So this was, this first one is an image of Jesus um, on a coin, I believe. There we go. Uh, this is uh, early 8th century. So this is Jesus. We got some, I don't know, some, looks like some weird ear, earrings coming out of there. <laughs> Not sure about that one. Uh, that's after the Byzantine Empire. Uh, next one. Here we got, uh, this, is, uh, this is Chinese Nestorian Jesus, okay? So as you can tell, he's kind of got the Asian look to him. Okay, that's pretty unique. You wouldn't see that in America. Uh, a beardless Christ, he's up top there in the middle. Looks just like a very young, like, I don't even know, like, red-haired guy with very long fingers, okay? <laughs> then we have 11th century. Uh, this, they start doing the halos, right? Like the halos so they know who Jesus is. And he looks a little mad here, but he's got some good hair. This one's similar, the halo again. Uh, this is in the Hagia Sophia, actually. And then uh, this one, I don't even know. This is like, uh, if you ever read Song of Solomon and they try to like put together what he's saying as like a person, this is, <laughs> he's like got a coat of arms. This is during the medieval times and they're like, we can do violence for Jesus. And this is what, this is what they can't. Well, he's a, like a, a whip on his head. Yeah, that one's weird. This one is really good. Like, look at how pale he is. Okay, hold on. First of all, he is in the Middle East. Like, it is very hot and sunny. Everyone is brown. Like, not even close. And they're like, we're going to make him like he's never seen the sun before. I just, it blows my mind, right? This one is like, look at how toned he is. And look at how, like, the, 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 the holes in his hands are, like, so, like, tiny and, like, not inf- offensive. They drive these massive nails through his hand, and they're like, oh, it's okay. This one is, like, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is Italian, Italian Jesus. Yep. This one is just, this one, actually, a lot of people have been mad about this one, because I don't know if Jesus did a lot of, like, CrossFit in the morning before. Like, it's ridiculous. I don't know. And then uh, this is like a more common one we see on stained glass. So this is more. Co- this is only less than 100 years old. It's got the little lamb, which is cool. This one's actually unique. Pause here. This is called the shroud of the shroud of something. Shroud of Christ. Turban. You know. Yeah. This is what they believe to be. Whenever he was uh, uh, put in the tomb, like it was over his face, and they were able to pull this through like negative photos of like what might actually be his face, which is just fascinating. So as you can tell, uh, it's not a very like detailed image, but far different than a lot of the other ones we've seen. And then this one, this is the most modern like render of who they think Jesus might look like. So this is white American Jesus over here on the left. And then this is what they think you know, he possibly could look like. Now, at the end of the day, you can, you can put that away. At the end of the day, what, what do we see here? A lot of different opinions on even who Jesus was physically. Who is this guy? We don't even know. Like when I pray to God and I'm thinking about God the Father, like do you think about him on clouds? Do you think about him as like this big old man with a really long beard? Do you think about him like sitting in a chair and like 
You know what I mean? Like, what do you even think about when you think about God, when you pray? I think about something. Like, I'm not just, like, writing to this void, right? When you think about Jesus, what do you think about? You know, it's not like Talladega Nights where you think about just, like, little baby Jesus, right? Like, he's a grown man. He died, like, and he was in the Middle East, right? So I just, I, I think that this just can humble us all and make us realize we don't know as much about Jesus as we really think we do. For centuries, people have been getting it wrong. And, and the only way for us really to figure out what that, what that looks like is, is through the stories in the Word and learning what it means. A lot of you are intimidated about reading your Bible because you're like, man, like, I just have no idea what's going on. And a very good reason. There's a lot of confusing things in here. And it should be because it was written 2,000 years ago. Like, if it, if it was written like today, it'd have a bunch of, like, emojis in it. Maybe you'd understand it then. But, but at the end of the day, it doesn't. And so that's why it's so important that we're going through this because we want to know what it, who really is Jesus. Like, can we get... And we're not perfect. We're sinners. God gives us grace in that. But can we get our best understanding of who he is? And even people who saw him still had misunderstandings. So verse 7. While they were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Because, you know, he's saying, look, I came to do all these things. You tell John that. I'm here. And, you know, they're, they're starting to wonder. So he tells all these people listening. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? He's asking about John. Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind, which is basically, did you go to see a pushover, someone who just wanted to kind of like probably raise money for themselves or trick you, you know, some sort of sorcerer? No. Did you, what do you go out and see? Do you see a man dressed in fancy clothes? Basically, did you go see some sophisticated, intelligent guy who's like, you know, he's like, read my book and you'll make millions, you know, whatever, those kind of people, right? No, look, look, those people wear fancy clothes. They're in the homes of kings. They're not eating locusts and honey wearing one tunic with long hair out in the desert. Like, they don't do that. So he's like, what did you go out to see? In verse 9, a prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. He's quoting Isaiah, because all these people know Isaiah. Or, sorry, he's quoting Malachi, which was the last kind of book in our Old Testament until Jesus' New Testament. He says, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. He starts baptizing people for repentance. And he says in verse 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, no one has risen greater than John the Baptist. So clearly, even though John's like, I don't know about this Jesus guy. Is he really the Messiah? Jesus and God don't throw any slander at him. They don't, they don't um, demean his, his, his you know, doubting. doubting. They affirm what he did, and his ministry was to, to allow people's minds to start to see the reality of the kingdom of Jesus here. And, and he says, he's great. no one's greater than him, and he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. This is a really cool way to draw people, and what he's doing is, he's saying, look, John the Baptist and what he did, there's nothing greater. Like, his mission was so important. But I tell you, the kingdom that I am, that I am bringing about on earth, and he's talked about the, um, in chapter 5 these Beatitudes, right? The people who are included in the kingdom, which are the lowest of the low, right? The people who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who, who, are, who have a, a heart for righteousness, right? He says, those people actually will be even greater than John. And so he's drawing people in and saying, look, this kingdom is real. And it's rooted in its, 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 its reality is among the people who are faithful to what God is calling them to, that are engaging in the kingdom. And... And then in verse 12, he says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and forceful people lay a hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John appeared. So that's the Old, Old Testament. You have all these prophets. They're, they're revealing the story of Jesus to come. Until John appeared, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. The one who has ears had better listen. He's saying, hey, look, John is, 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 un, 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 uh, is revealing 
what Elijah, what all these prophets had spoke about. He's like this new Elijah. He is, he is ushering in the way that they were all waiting for. I mean, they knew their Bibles very well. They knew that this type of Messiah figure would come. But the thing, like I said, is they saw a hammer, and they thought the hammer's going to come and smash things. And when we see things smash, that will be the Messiah. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm a hammer that heals. And he comes and starts doing all these things, and people are like, this is not, well, this is not what it should be. This is not what we intended. It's a complete misunderstanding. What I love about this is even in this statement, Jesus is saying, look, until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay a hold of it. Even, even now, like, you know, we're, we're not even that far into the story, right? Jesus has faced violence. If you remember this, good old Christmas story, right? Like little baby in the manger. And then a little bit later, King Herod's like, kill all the babies in Bethlehem. And so they have to run away in the middle of the night on horseback with an infant to Egypt because a couple hundred babies were just slaughtered that, you know, that night, right? Talk about violence, right? And then, and then as we go, there's more and more violence. Then John the Baptist is now in prison and will later be killed, right, beheaded. That's a crazy story. And there's violence among the kingdom, even before Jesus is, like, done with everything he's trying to do, right? No matter what you do in your life, you will face opposition. It is a reality because what you do is fighting against the darkness of the world. And the darkness of the world wants no light among it. And what Jesus is saying here, and I think is so beautiful, is like, look, there's all around the world, there's chaos. There's chaos. Like, I haven't even done what I'm going to do yet. You don't even know. And there's already chaos. And I'm here to bring order. And what I love about that is, he, and he says, look, if you had ears, listen, which is basically his way of saying, listen up. This is important, right? And he's saying that because he's like, look, you were made for this. Like, this moment in time, I'm not, I'm, I'm saying then, I'm even saying now, like, the, the chaos around us, right, the the, the tension, the, the sicknesses, right, the, just you name it, inflation, whatever you want, right, all around us. It's around us. It's chaos. It's so many people have different opinions. So many people have different research they read, whatever, right? At the end of the day, like, we were made for this. And believing in that is not, like, blind, like, oh, I hope, you know, I'm, I'm just being optimistic. I hope everything pans out, you know? It's, it's not like that. It's, that. it's that Jesus knew that ushering in his kingdom, even at the beginning, and Jesus doing it would face opposition. Imagine how much more his followers would face through hundreds and hundreds of centuries. We've talked about this, that in some ways the gospel has moved farther along and more powerfully in areas where it's illegal, where people are killed for it because the stakes are so much higher. The stakes here are like someone gets slightly offended at you and removes you off Facebook, you know? That's like your, that's the worst it can be, right? And so he's saying, look, the, the kingdom is here regardless of who's president, regardless of the chaos, regardless of inflation, regardless of people losing their jobs, regardless of people being sick. The kingdom is here, and I'm bringing it in. Those who have ears, like, listen and look. And so in verse 16, he says, to what do I compare this generation? He's saying, here's what you guys, here's how your ears are working. They are like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed in mourning, yet you did not weep. This is a pretty confusing verse if you've read this. You're like, I don't know what that's saying. Well, in the marketplace, during weddings or even um, during funerals, right, it was more of a public event. People participate in wailing or celebrating. And during weddings, you dance, right? These kids would sing, and you'd like, la-di-da, hooray, you know? Like, nowadays, we just put on Spotify playlists, and we bump to, like, you know, some hip-hop and R&B and stuff. But back then, you paid a bunch of kids to sing, because what's cuter than kids singing, right? And, um, and, and it's like, Jesus is like, look, like, the kids are singing, no one's dancing. But then if they... They mourn, no one's crying. Like, you guys are not engaging yourself in the reality of the kingdom that's around you. You're not even, like, seeing it. And, and what we learn from this and what is a narrative of the Bible is that a lot of us 
if we're not willing to kind of step into the culture that Jesus is creating, the ethic that he teaches, then do we really believe in it? Like it's like saying, oh, yeah, yeah, like Jesus is great and what he did is great and he saved me and all that. And that's great. And there's the river, but I'm going to stand here on the side. I don't want to get in. And it's like, well, then do you really believe in it, right? If you, don't, if you don't believe in the structural integrity of a chair, you don't sit in it, right? If you do, you sit in it. It's that simple. And people, and he's saying, look, like here's the things that are happening and none of you guys are engaging in what's happening. And, and, and he says this generation is it's just a whole set of expectations of like John, right? They're all like John. They're like, well, like, I thought you were going to come with a hammer and start knocking holes in the wall and like tyranny, turn down the tyranny, you know, like overthrow Rome, right? They're being mean to us. And, and so, and then so he closes with this in 1819. He says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, some people thought John the Baptist's lifestyle was just crazy, right? Like, this guy's out in the desert. You know, I mean, honestly, think about it. Like, okay, if we were, if today we found out there's a guy living out in the woods in Logan, Hawking Hills area, right, and he's eating bugs off the ground and then dipping people in water out there, you know, you, you probably wouldn't be like, I'm going to go sign up to see that guy, right? You wouldn't. You'd be like, that guy, I can assume a lot of things about that guy, right? And, you know, not much has changed in 2,000 years. That's still a weird guy then, right? And they, they're like, well, he's weird. He's crazy. He's, he's, he doesn't drink. He doesn't do all these things. He's clearly, like, he's way too extreme, right? And, like, way too whatever. And then Jesus comes, right? And what does he do? He eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. And then he eats and drinks with Pharisees and the religious elite. And then he, he makes wine at a wedding to celebrate, right? Like, does all these. And they're like, well, he's a drunkard and a glutton. And he's like, which one is it? Which one do you want? Do you want this one? Do you want this one? Do you want somewhere in the middle? And at the end of the day, he's like, stop all of this madness. It's neither. And, and I just, it's so comforting today because, like, you know, you get caught in this cycle of, I don't know, the crazy cycle of, like, this side, that side. Let's fight each other. Let's build tribes. Let's put our security in these things. And that way, when we're, when we're, when we're living our life based on fear and control, like, we get these doses here and there where we think we're in control, right? And at the end of the day, you're just, a, you're just a sad, grouchy person that no one wants to be around, except the other people who are also sad and grouchy, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, that's not, that's not what Jesus came and died for. It's so you can sit around and be sad and grouchy about the state of the world, right? And, and I just, I, I, like, I read this, and I'm like, man, people have not changed in 2,000 years, right? Some people think Jesus is this. Some people think Jesus is that. What did he really come for? What does he really want his people to do? And they're misjudging a man who they got to see. Some people are like, oh, if I just saw Jesus do some of these things, well, I'd clearly, I'd believe, I'd have good theology, I would know Jesus wanted it. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't. Like, you'd watch a YouTube video of him healing someone, and you'd be like, well, that was edited, you know? <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen the trick. There's a, you know, have you seen the, this is, this is a tangent, but have you seen those ones where the guy's, like, floating, you know, in the marketplace? So he, like, is wearing, like, a wizard cape or whatever, and he's, like, floating, and you're like, whoa. And I'm like, I've seen that. There's a pole that he's, like, standing on, and you just can't see it, you know? I ruined the whole trick, right? That's what people would do. They'd be like, well, this and that. If you've ever watched the show The Messiah, uh, it's kind of like an allegory uh, about what if the Messiah came back today? Would people believe in? He does these crazy things, and everyone's like, well, look, here's the camera angles, and he didn't do it. He did this, and we, we would not, you know? Don't kid yourself. What, what's so hard about belief in us is that we, we, we have a really hard time believing in the Jesus that doesn't agree with us. Like, if, if Jesus is not 100% for what I want to believe, we have a very hard time following him, which is wild, because if you were, if that's basically like, uh, my rules are right, and I want to play God, and if you played God, you ever watch Bruce Almighty, you know? doesn't go so well. 
You can't just hit yes to every prayer request. He closes with, but wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. This is a, kind of a spin-off Proverbs, chapter 1 and 8. If you've ever read Proverbs, a lot of like little quips from Solomon that are in wisdom. He says, wisdom and discernment is proved not by how much you know, but how they actually play out. This is the classic, uh, put your money where your mouth is, that I like to say. Jesus is like, look, I'm all in. Like I'm going to hedge my bets. This is what I'm going to do. And you're going to see it happen, whether you like it or not. And uh, if you have ears, listen. Right? And you have eyes, you can see. And what do, we, what do we see over the next 17 chapters? Exactly what is being said happened. And Matthew, who he's talking to, a bunch of intellectual Jewish people trying to figure out, is this real or not? Is Christ really real? He has another about 50 to 60 references from the Old Testament to prove it, right? It just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And the things that we think Jesus will do, he just is absolutely not even going our way, right? Like, surely he'll fight. That, nope. Surely he'll put up his own. He was, he was misrepresented in court. Surely he'll give his defense. Nope. Surely... Surely they, you know, that uh, he will pull himself down from the cross. Remember the Romans like, put yourself down if you're king, right? He doesn't. Surely, you know, he'll stay in that grave. There's a massive 3,000-pound rock. Surely, right? Like, it's just this constant trend of like, look, wisdom will prove itself by her deeds. And what I'm doing will prove to be true. John will die. I will die. And most of you will regard that as failure, which is funny because when I think about, like, you know, one of the things that a lot of pastors get around circles and talk about uh, is you know, what is, what is like a fully formed follower of Jesus look like, you know? Like, what are the things they, what do they embody? What are the things they do? Who, what kind of person are they becoming? And one of the things that I was so sick of, tired of not hearing was their inward reality, their character, like who they were becoming emotionally. And, and not like, okay, cool, you come to church, great, good for you, right? That's nice, check that off your report card. But at the end of the day, there's so much more to that. And that's why we're starting all of our cores this week, if you want to join one, we're starting a series on emotionally healthy spirituality because a lot of us are just terrible emotionally in integrating that with faith. We have, we have family wounds. We have, we have friendship wounds. We have traumas we've never talked about. We've never confronted. We have legitimate fears about church and about people, and you have good reason to have them. You've had some bad things happen in your life, and I, I get it. And we don't want to talk about it. And then we don't realize that all of that has ramifications on not only the way that we love and follow Jesus, but that the way we love and follow, like the way we love other people. And I, I just, in this, it's like, when Jesus dies, everybody is just like, this was a failure. You know, all the disciples are like, I just wasted three and a half years of my life. And what do they think? I'm going to go fishing again, right? Like, what a waste of time. And, and we, we, the, to the end, even when he appears, they're like, I don't know. Thomas is like, I got to see your hands. Okay, because I don't believe it. At the end of the day, do we really want to believe that this is what Jesus is saying and calling us into? Right? We like, oh, I hear it. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that. That's hard, right? That requires some things. I have some insecurities that I don't want to acknowledge. What better way than over the next eight weeks to like uncover that? Because when we uncover that, everything else becomes more clear and healthy. Those who don't, who don't see it, they miss the beauty and the goodness of the kingdom. And so the last four verses, which I'm just going to kind of read through quickly because you'll get lost on a bunch of these cities and things. Uh, verse 20, basically, Jesus then began after this. He criticizes openly cities in which he had done many of his miracles because they did not repent. He says, woe to you, trees, uh, and woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, the miracles you've been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? No, you'll be thrown down into Hades. For if miracles done among you had been done in Sodom, it would have continued to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. 
he, he's, this is like a, you know, a unique little part. And what he's really just saying is, you know, he just, he just closes, look, wisdom is vindicated by its deeds. And I'm, I'm giving you, he's basically, I'm giving you a warning that the way that you live your life will end in death. And there's a couple different types of death, right? There is physical death we all experience. And then there's spiritual death, which is you choosing your kingdom over his, and you'll get what you want, which is selfishness and pride and probably eventually isolation and anger. Same thing as if you don't address these traumas in your life, like you, you can't hide them. They are a root. And when you have a bad root, it will affect the entire tree. It will affect whether or not you can bear any fruit at all. Or even if you do bear fruit, it's not any good. And he's saying, look, like I am warning you. Jesus is saying, it will be far worse for you than even these cities where I showed up because I am telling you and showing you who I am. And I, I just think about this, like, you know, for some of us, it, we, we just have a really hard time. You're like, okay, but I want to believe. I want to do these things, but I don't feel God in my life. Like, I don't feel like other people where other people have had these, like, really cool experiences, right? Or, like, they tell you about them, and you're like, that's cool for you, good for you, but I don't have that, right? Or you're like, you know, I'm trying faithfully, but I just feel like I'm getting caught in this all, I, all my faith is is what I do, right? Like the things that Trey asked me to do, right, or whatever, or, or the things that everyone around me is doing. Like, I've, I've, you know, I'm trying to give my life to this. And, and I just I want you to see what he, where he's going here. And what he's saying is, 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 look, at the end of the day, all those things are good and they're great, but at the end of the day, like, what, do you even want to believe? If I showed up and I did these things, would you actually believe? Because any of you who've had a really powerful experience, you know this. It fades as time goes. It, it starts to have less weight, and you're like, Lord, you're praying for another one, right? How many of you have a, had a physical ailment? I've had this where I'm like, Lord, just like every day. She's like, can I just please just get rid of this, or could the doctors figure it out, or whatever, right? And then a week later when it's gone, you don't even, you, you like forgot to even thank God, right? You forgot that he even did that. Or you're like, well, modern science, not God. They're incompatible, right? You know what I mean? Like, we, how quickly are we to misbelieve? So for this, it, we can call it this year if you want to, you know, you want to do some resolutions or you want to start off the year right. Like, I just have these questions that I think we need to ask ourselves seriously. First one is, do we take Jesus' words and teachings serious? Do we have an expectation of Jesus that is not right? Have, or we have any expectations we're inherited? You'd be shocked at how much of us, you know, as little kids in, in kids' ministry or maybe we went to youth ministry or middle school or high school or whatever, we learn these things and and maybe we didn't even take time to actually filter through where they came from or why people taught this or whatever, right? Like, have we owned our faith? Is it still our parents? Or is it still, have, is it still what we learned in, you know, kids' ministry when we were five? Or is it, you know, maybe you don't believe and the things you're using is, you know, Facebook articles and things you've never read. Or maybe you read Nietzsche, and Nietzsche is actually even fascinating because he actually believed in God more than people realize. And, and do, we, do we have any of these things that we've inherited that, we're, that are making residence in our souls that we're not allowing to acknowledge? We're too terrified of what it would do to us. Ones that we aren't willing to reconsider. And lastly, do we need to evaluate our own expectations of what it means to follow Jesus? So what area of our, of our lives need renovation to be more like him? What are the things that we, we know to be true? We see it. And at the end of the day, we like want to create the list. We want to have these plans. And, 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 but we don't actually really believe and what Jesus might do if that happens. I think about this a lot with, you know, there's several different ways that we can honor Jesus and what he calls us to, and two of the ones I just want to acknowledge as we close, because I think these are just, like, really timely for us as a church. If there's two things that I would say to any church, anywhere I'm teaching this year, it'd be there's two practices that I think Christians 
will change the world with. And guess what? They're both counterintuitive to the way the world lives. The first one is giving, is being generous. And I'm not saying this is, you know, oh, pastor needs money. I'm saying this because this is, what, this is one of the marks of the followers of Jesus, is they are so generous that it blows people's minds. And I'm not, I'm not just saying money. I'm saying time, talents, like what are the gifts God has given you? What, everybody has the same amount of time in every day. If you are willing to spend an hour with someone who really doesn't even, like, deserve it, right? How much will that grow your heart? How much did Jesus do that for, right? He'd stop on the road and heal the person who probably was just using him for his power. The first thing is just, are we generous people in a world of taking of mind as prices rise and people become more stingy, as people become more fearful about their jobs and whatever, right? Can we just be, like, insanely generous? And, and at the end of the day, you could say, yeah, that sounds great. And then when the rubber hits the road and, and you're starting to look at your checking account, right, and you're like, ooh, this is where I, I really figure out, do I really believe that, like, the lilies of the field, like the grass of the valley, that Jesus actually cares more about me than those, and that if my bank account is not as high as I want it, that I'll actually be okay. Sarah and I's bank account in Christmas was gnarly. It's getting sketchy. I was starting to sweat a little. I was starting to pull change around the house to throw it into our bank account. And I'm saying that honestly because I'm like someone who's, we're pretty financially, like we, we take it serious. We try to be frugal. We try to have an emergency fund and all that, right? And like, and, but we were just, you know, I don't know, Christmas, you try to be generous, right? And, and we did things. Sarah's way more like, just give it all away. And I'm like, no, we need a budget, you know? And so we have, a, we have tension there, but it's like, she's like, did you want to come up and say something? No. Uh, uh, I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and I just, I, I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, who cares? Like, if we, if we just, I don't know, if our bank account just hit negative 1,000, I have full confidence that if, like, we really needed money and we asked you guys, you guys would give us it in a, in a day. I believe it. Not because a lot of you are loaded, but because you guys are generous people. And I've seen that with meal trains. You want to talk about, stop talking about money, Trey. Talk about meal trains. We have provided more Grubhub gift cards <laughs> in our little circle than any like, church I know, right? I, was, I worked at a church of 800, and they had less people do a meal train, and five people would sign up. And, and uh, you know, people were signed up twice. It's just, it's awesome. Let's keep doing it. Who cares how big we are? If we love, it's like, that's what we're here to do. The second thing, first thing is generosity, money, giving, time, talents, treasures. Second one, which you're going to go, oh, boy, is Sabbath. Anyone go? Want to go, oh, boy, Trey. Oh, boy. I'm, I got a lot to do. There is nothing, I think, in this state of the world that is more revealing of your heart than if you can give a day a week to God. Nothing. And I believe that. Because why? Because we're hurried. Because we want to prove ourselves. Because we want to be the social butterflies of the circle. Because we want to work and make more money and, and go up the, the ladder, right? All of that is rooted in emotionally healthy spirituality and insecurity. We don't really believe that. Remember when the Israelites did this really quick Old Testament story? Israelites were called to, to pull food up six days a week. God said, you rest on the seventh day. So on the sixth day, you prepare double the harvest and you trust that come after the seventh day when you're out of food that I will bring more manna on that Monday, right? And what do they do? Some of them stockpile it and they bury it on it like God can't have 3D vision through their tents, right? We're going to hide it in the ground. Surely he'll never see it, right? And then what happens? Maggots eat it all up and then they have no food. How many of us are living our lives like just grinding? And we even, if you even think about it, you're like, Trey, if I took a day off, I would be, it would just be stressful. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I, just, I want us to say like these are the type of things that will allow people to see what we believe in as real in the world. Like, I can't think of anything I, I would be like, wow, that person actually Sabbaths. How do they do it? How do they love their family? How do they provide for their family? How do they work? How do they have relationships? 
And so I just want to encourage you guys, if you're thinking about, like, what does this look like tangibly, I, I, would just, I, would, I would almost argue that try these things out for a few months, weeks. Come back to me, and I dare you to tell me they didn't, they didn't change your life or others around you. I dare you. I would love to do it. In fact, you, if you, like, churches have done this, if you want to give, and if, if after a few weeks you feel like, hey, I don't feel any different, I don't think my money made a difference, I, we will give it all back to you because it's not what it's about. What it's about is you trusting that the things that we're doing will allow Jesus, like he said, you misunderstand me because you don't really want to believe in what I'm saying. So we're gonna, I'm going to invite the band up, and uh, we're going to close with some reflection time. And I just, I'm excited. I'm excited about this year. I'm excited for um, some of us just to see freedom from the world, from oppression, from things that we've been wrestling with for years, for things we didn't even know were there. And um, I just encourage you over the next few minutes, this is kind of our time of reflection. You can reflect on some of these questions. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we offer the bread and cup every week. So there's some in the back. If you want to grab one, that's just a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And you can take that during this time where we also have people in the back that would love to pray for you. So there's kind of a few options there. And you want to just sit and reflect. I'd love that. And then uh, in about a minute, we're going to sing one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit Contrast.Church.